Welcome to House to Home Podcast. It's here that we'll learn how to cultivate an eternal haven in our temporary world. So grab a cup of coffee, do the dishes, or even take a drive in your car. Whatever it is you do while listening, I hope you feel right at home. our first episode. I'm Brianna Scroggins, and today I have my husband with me, Mason Scroggins. Hello. So if you decide to follow us along this journey, you're going to get used to hearing him. He's going to be a regular co-host of mine. He's a big part of House to Home and its vision, its ideas. So for our listeners that may be new or maybe you don't know us, we have been married now for going on seven years. I had to do the math before I wrote that down. <laughs> Not that long, but I still kind of forgot. <laughs> Um, we have three beautiful children. Anora Scroggins is the oldest. Evangeline Scroggins is the middle child. And then Henry Scroggins, actually David Henry, but he goes by Henry, is the youngest. We've got four, two, and he'll be one in February. So little babies in our house. Um, we currently live in Indiana, and my husband is an elder at our church. He's in seminary to be a pastor. He does so many other things. So his Monday to Friday job, it's actually Monday to Thursday job because he has a great schedule. He is a field and environmental scientist, correct? That's correct. Okay, so he works at an oil and gas refinery. Mm -hmm. And um, he goes to school full time. That's what he's in seminary to be doing. Come January, he's going to be preaching three times a month um, in Illinois and in Indiana here at our church. And the list goes on. He does a lot of other things, writes for a few ministries and things like that. So he's a busy bee, and as am I. I'm a homemaker. I stay at home, and I teach our three children. Anora is homeschooled. She's been doing some homeschool, learning how to read, and that's been fun. I do things like this podcast, and I just love being at home, kind of working on the home, opening up our home, being hospitable, that kind of thing. So I stay busy with that. So today, we want to invite you guys in on a conversation with us about an interesting topic of domestic liturgy. So we're just going to jump right into it. Mason, what is that and how did you come up with it? Domestic liturgy isn't necessarily something that I came up with. It's more of uh, a revival of old ideas. So everything that we're going to be talking about under the rubric of domestic liturgy isn't anything new. It's things that people have been doing since people have been on the world. Um, it's things pertaining to the home. Um, so what is domestic liturgy? It is um, a way of speaking about the meaningful and purposeful habits, rituals, um, the things that we do in our home. So we do things every day, Everyone that has a home does things in their home. So why do you do those things, and what is the end goal in them? So right. that, that's kind of what we're getting at when we talk about domestic liturgy. Um, it's something bigger than just this conversation. It's something that we'd like to invite you in on. It's not something that I just made up, and um, I, this is some newfound doctrine or anything like that. It's something a lot better shared than defined, honestly. So it's a conversation. Right. So we're kind of wanting to invite you guys into that conversation today. And it's going to be a term that we will probably use in ongoing podcasts. And so that's why it's our first podcast. Um, so if any of that sounded a little bit confusing, 
uh, that's probably normal <laughs> because, again, it's kind of a term that describes a whole lot and it involves a whole lot. So we're going to keep talking about this thing of domestic liturgy in this podcast, but we're going to keep talking about it in podcasts to come. So hopefully after this podcast, you can kind of be like, okay, yeah, I know what domestic liturgy is. And then you can go from there and examine what you want your domestic liturgy to look like, what it looks like now, and that kind of thing. So with that, Mason, what does our home liturgy look and feel like, do you think, personally? Um, our home liturgy looks and feels like home. (laughs) Uh, We do lots of things in the home. It looks like praying with the kids before bed. It looks like having dinners around the table every single night, no matter what, not skipping out on those kind of things that some people would say are not that big of a deal. Um, They are that big of a deal because of the meaning that they have behind them and the things that happen during those small menial conversations, the things that we don't plan Uh, but we have set in place are the places and the times when amazing things happen. So at the dinner table, you never know what's going to come up. You never know what kind of conversation is going to come about there. And to answer the question that you asked a minute ago, you said, what is it and how did you come up with it? Again, I didn't come up with it, but the way it kind of came to me, the idea of domestic liturgy was actually after some counseling sessions that I'd been doing. I'd realized that some of the things that we did in our home and even growing up in my my parents' home aren't as um, enculturated into our society now. Right. It's, it's things that we don't do very often. And I had just taken it for granted, really, just mm-hmm. assumed that, well, families and homes do these kind of things. But so many people have either forgotten that we do them at all, or they've forgotten the significance behind the small um, rituals that home life is about. What we do has purpose and has meaning, or should have purpose and should have meaning. We don't want to live lives of vanity. Um, everything that we should be doing should be done to the glory of God and should have meaning and purpose. So right. what does it look like? Um, it just kind of looks like home to me. I don't really have a good answer other than it's just everything that we do. We, yeah. we do so many things. So you, you can't say it looks like this or that, or there's this five-step program. It's different every day. Uh, but at the same time, there's still a schedule. There's still a liturgy. And, and for those that are unaware um, and are unfamiliar of the term liturgy, it's a term that usually uh, pertains to the church, but actually uh, the, the way I kind of shaped the word domestic liturgy goes beyond the, the usage that the church started using. So the term liturgy in the church generally means the work of the people. So when you think about liturgy in a worship service at a church, that is the, the rituals, the habits, Um, the patterns that we do in worship, the standing up, the sitting down, the significance in that, the coming forward, the coming back. Um, All those things that we do in worship are a sign pointing to something greater than the actual thing that we're doing. So, for instance, when you come and partake of the wine and the bread and the Lord's Supper, it's not just a snack. It's, it's something way more than that. And everyone that participates in worship realizes that. And it's the same when it comes to the home. So um, it goes beyond the church. I said that for that reason, because the church actually ended up borrowing the term 
um, liturgy from the Greeks. The Greeks were using this term to refer to something more attuned to um, community service or maybe public service. So the way all this comes back to the home is that a citizen used to mean something a lot more than it does now. To be a citizen was someone to be part of the greater polis, the city. So if you were a person living in a city, you had a civic responsibility to uphold uh, the purity, the peace, the fruitfulness of that society. And it was like a great privilege. Too. Right. It wasn't something that people didn't enjoy. It was a huge privilege to be a citizen. Right. It was an honor. Right. And I'd like to carry that kind of uh, meaning of the word liturgy into the home. So to be a member of a home is, I think, a privilege. I think right. it's an honor to be able to serve your family, to serve your home for the greater good, not just of the society, but of your home itself. How is your household, how is your home being productive? How are you being fruitful? And what does fruitfulness look like? What What are the things that you can put your finger on that that you can say, this house does this well, and we're uh, contributing to each other and to the greater good um, by doing this or that. Yeah. It's something that um, I've talked about a lot. If you've followed any of my blogs or if you're a friend of mine or listened to some of the podcasts that I was on as a guest is um, really valuing a peaceful home. And that really plays into this. In in those podcasts or in those talks, I have mentioned how growing up there were things that I didn't have in my home that I want now. And there were also things that I did have in my home that I want now. Like Mason was saying, he took a lot of the things that he grew up with for granted or maybe didn't even take them for granted, but didn't even realize how blessed he was to have a family that sat around the dinner table every evening um, because so many families don't have that today. And so many families don't value, I think, being a member of the family. I think they either think this family is a burden to me and I don't enjoy being a part of this family or um, it's just kind of the home is just kind of a, a pit stop. It's not a resting place. A lot of people asked about rhythms, like what are your daily rhythms? And they wanted to hear about that. And your home liturgy is that. Just like you're saying with a church, every church has a schedule. They may not call it a liturgy, um, but every church has a way they go about their worship service, just like every home has a way they go about their days. And your seconds, your minutes, your hours, your days, your months, that all adds up into the span of your life. Mm -hmm. So um, what you're doing every single second of the day, whether you're at home, at work, it is still your life's liturgy. And it adds up and it creates who you are and who your family is and how people see you. Right. That's another good point. It creates who you are. That, that is the whole purpose behind the liturgy is to shape and mold you who you are. You, you all have probably heard the saying, you are what you eat. Right. Um, it's also true that you are what you do in many ways, mm -hmm. um, that faith is dead without works. So the things that we do, they have meaning and they have purpose, but they also shape who we are as individuals. Part of becoming who we are is action. It's doing, it's uh, being set in motion. What habits are you doing that are changing you to be a better or for worse person? Yeah, so what are you doing at home? So if you take a, th a look, kind of get introspective here, I guess, take a look at what your household is doing. What are you doing throughout your days? Are you spending a lot of time watching TV? 
or are you spending a lot of time reading? Um, are you spending a lot of time with your family? Or are you spending a lot of time outside of the home? And if you are, is it a good thing? What, what are you doing? What are you being productive with? Do those things make you happy? Because like Mason said, our domestic liturgy, what does our liturgy in the home look like? It looks like eating around the table. It looks like bedtime prayers. I was thinking last night, it looks a lot like a lot of repentance throughout the day. I have three small children, so I am literally pulling children off of other children throughout the day. And sometimes there's screaming to be had between all of us, not even just the children. So some days it looks like a lot of praying throughout the day. It looks like stopping and asking for forgiveness and offering up prayers to the Lord of repentance and showing that to our children. Simple things like that. I think that is honestly one of the things I do more than anything throughout a day is either telling myself or telling my children to go away and pray (laughs) because you have to get your heart right. So is there a lot of that happening or is there a lot of bitterness happening? Maybe you don't do that. Maybe your home isn't a home that takes children aside and makes them repent to God and makes them repent to their brother and sister. Uh, Maybe that's just something you never really thought about doing. Or maybe it's just kind of the norm that people don't say sorry in your household. Um, So things like that, kind of just thinking, um, what are other people doing? Not to compare, what are other people doing that I would like? What does the Bible ultimately say that we should be doing as Christians? How should we be living? And that starts in the home life. Um, Because if we're going to be living lives of integrity, we can't only do it when we're outside. Maybe it's easier for you to do it when other people are watching you, but you have to start those things and plant those seeds in the home, especially if you want your family to grow into those things as well. If you want your children to be fruitful and to be strong, kind of like I talked in the introductory podcast, we want to be homes that our roots grow deep, 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 and we want to be bearing good fruit and we want to have branches that share with the world and branches that are strong and sturdy enough to kind of carry other people's loads and burdens and heaviness. If we are teaching our children how to do those things, then those children are going to go out and teach other people how to do those things. And it just goes on and on and on from generation to generation. And we are spreading out those roots and spreading out those branches. Okay, so some husbands may think that this topic doesn't pertain to them because they're at work more than they're at home. Or maybe even some moms are thinking, well, you know, I work outside of the home. Maybe they're not homemakers full-time. What would you say to those husbands, particularly since you're a husband and you you are home? I mean, you're away from home more than you are at home most of the time. So the question is, what would I say to husbands who are saying, this doesn't seem like it's for me? Is that, that kind of the question? Yeah, maybe they're thinking, you know, like well, my wife can just come up with the what we do and I'll okay. follow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I would call the husbands, whether they are away a lot or not, to consider what their role is in the home. Who are they? Are they the head of the household or are they just another person that stays um, at this house hotel? Mm-hmm. So like so many people these days practically use their homes as hotels. They work at a different place. They're always away. They're doing things outside of the home all the time. And basically homes just become this place to sleep while you're not doing the stuff that you just want to do and pursue on your own. Um, So I would say that the husband 
is definitely involved in this work because I would say that he is the head of the household and leading where this house is going. What direction is your household going to go? What is the end goal for even having a house? Why don't you have a hotel? Why don't you just go and stay at a really cheap place and just go sleep there? What, what is the purpose of having the home that you have? How is it bringing value to you? How is it bringing value to your wife if you have kids? How does all of that show up as far as meaning and value? Because you can't just do it and say, well, I just do it just because. I think that some people practically do that, but it's a really, really bad way of living life. It's a, it's a meaningless life. It's a chaotic life. It doesn't have any kind of purpose behind it. And I think y you can really lose your whole life living that kind of mentality where you just go to work, you make money, and you buy toys and you sleep at your house, and then right. you go and just live in the cycle of working for money. You, you just yeah. live for money. You don't live for the flourishing of your household and uh, the greater good of your family. You do it mostly for yourself uh, because you're just doing it to get more money to play with more toys. Yeah, that's good. And I think that that can pertain to some wives as well that maybe don't put a value on the home or maybe they're unhappy and displeased with their home. And so it's not just husbands that can view the home as a sort of hotel. I think some wives can do that as well, or some moms can do that as well. And even we have little kids right now, but teenagers can do that. Um, I'm sure some of our listeners have kids that are outside of the home. Maybe they're empty nesters, or maybe you have teenage kids. And if we're not teaching our kids the value of home life and of family, then they might kind of treat your home like that too, as just a pit stop. This is just where they sleep and that kind of thing. So talking about all that, I feel like some people, they may feel really discouraged in their home life. Maybe they feel like their domestic liturgy is just rotten, or they don't have one, they're not happy with their home, maybe they feel like they've dropped the ball, or that this idea of having a peaceful home or a um, well-rounded Christian home is just too far-fetched. So for those people that kind of feel discouraged and don't even know where to begin or how to start a rich domestic liturgy, what should we do? What should we say to those families? Where can we point them? Yeah, so for the person who just thinks that this sounds extremely mysterious and this all just isn't really making sense, I would say slow down um, and just think about the things that you're doing in your home. I wouldn't tell a person to go sit down and get a piece of paper and just write down everything that they think that they need to just completely change in their household life. I don't think that that will work. I think that'll be too overwhelming, uh, but I do think that it would be a good idea to slowly start to think about the things that you do in your life. So approach this from a standpoint of contemplation more than strategic planning. Mm -hmm. I, I would say that since it's the new year, everyone's going to have 15 tips to do this or that, um, to renovate your household living, to lose weight, to do this or that. And everyone knows that none of those work. Um, everyone gets to about February and <laughs> their diet plans die. Um, because they've given themselves a diet plan that they could never follow or a way of living that they could never follow. So how do we start to live this contemplative life? I think you do it one step at a time. Mm -hmm. I think you do it in a shared kind of way, in a community of people that are on board 
with this same kind of thing. So if this all seems very unfamiliar to you, you don't know anyone that is doing anything like this, I would say one, you probably do know someone and it's probably your grandparents or (laughs) someone older um, that just takes it for granted. They're not going to call it domestic liturgy. They're probably going to call it family traditions or something like that. But I wanted to kind of approach this from an angle of liturgy because there is this new revival within the last 10, 15 years of liturgy. And it's because we've forgotten it in the church and we've forgotten it in the home as well. So I wanted to bring this over and kind of bring over the excitement and the, uh, whatever you want to call it, the energy that comes from taking life seriously, taking it contemplatively and thinking about everything you do in your life. So find a good friend that can do this with you, that you can talk about these kind of things, ask them what they do that works, what works in your home to promote a healthy family life. And it might be something as small as we take 10 minutes a day to ask each other how we're doing. Just small things like that make a huge difference in your home. And like Bree was saying other a minute ago, um, conversations and communication have a huge factor in all of this. The way that we stay together as families, as households, is by communication and by interaction with one another. And if you let that get clogged with bitterness, with resentment, um, and have zero reconciliation, you have no sorries in your home, you have no I forgive you's in your home, this won't work. The only way to make all this work is to get everyone in the family on board um, and take it a little bit at a time. Start with something as small as making a point to eat around the dinner table every night. That sounds like, oh, that's no big deal. That's easy. Well, if you don't do it, I'd, I'd say that it's probably going to be more difficult than you would expect it to be. If that hasn't become the pattern, you've probably built in another pattern where you go and eat out four or five days a week at a drive through There are no meaningful conversations while you're digging in through your McDonald's Happy Meal. Mm-hmm. Like that, It's just not going to happen. But um, when you take time to sit down and have meals together, that's where communion happens. It's no... Um, It's not by chance that we do communion every week at church because that act of coming together as a people, as one people, one body, uh, we come together and we eat together. And through the breaking of bread, people grow closer to each other. So meals bring people together. So the smallest thing um, of just even eating a meal together can be a place to start. And I would encourage you, if you haven't made any New Year's resolutions, start with something like that, just something small. Um, maybe it's praying with your kids. If you don't already pray with your kids, maybe it's family worship. Who knows what it is? Maybe it's making it a a point to go to church every week. That's a huge part of our, uh, domestic liturgy here in our home is just participating in the divine liturgy and the liturgy that the Lord has given us to follow each and every week to worship him, to go and assemble together as the people of God on the Lord's day every single week. We don't ever miss it. It's a hard block on our calendar and we don't ever budge on it and part of living that domestic life um, in a consistent way is saying that this is so valuable that we're not willing to trade anything for it it's that life-giving to us so i think that to answer your question the discouraged person needs to slow down and just think about their life what are you doing and why are you doing it no that's so good yeah and there's so much there that we could unpack 
we'll probably have to do another episode on this. I'm just thinking what better New Year's resolution you could pick than to do something like what you're saying, having dinner around the table, Um, something that will be edifying not just for you, but for your whole family. And two, like you said, take it one step at a time. Don't overwhelm. I think a lot of us, especially me, especially moms maybe, and wives, we would be very driven to jot everything down, make a list of what we want to change, go tell our husbands, be maybe excited about it, but way too overwhelming and way too overbearing. We can tend to be overbearing and nagging, right? And we don't want that with domestic liturgy. We want this to not be nagging at all. We want it to be a joyful, fun, exciting thing for your family. So if dinner time around the table is stressful, for you because you're expecting everyone to sit there with their elbows off the table and no one spills milk and no one cries and the kids aren't going to be pestering each other, you're going to have to get your mind organized first before ever going into it. Because we have three little kids who sit at our table. Someone is always spilling something. Someone is literally always trying to get under the table, even though they know they're not supposed to get under the table. Someone's probably crying that they didn't want this type of food or that type of food. And you just have to choose as the mom, dad, leaders of the family to be joyful in that and joyfully tell them this is what mommy cooked and realize things aren't going to switch just overnight. Discipline may have to happen at the dinner table. Um, If your family's not used to it, it might not be fun the first few times. (laughs) You might have to be very intentional about it. So be intentional about these things, but at the same time, don't think about them so much that they're consuming you and you're getting discouraged with them. Be prayerful about it. Maybe chat with your husband, wives, husbands, come together, pray about things, and just make small steps. I think most people that have a good home life and a strong, rich domestic liturgy are not thinking like, oh, we have to do this and we have to do that. They're just living simple, obedient lives and it's showing. The reason why we started this podcast and the reason why we're talking about this topic is because we've had so many people just in the past, probably, I guess, seven years since we've been married, five years since we've had kids, we've had people be like, wow, we never even thought to do that or Like, what made you think to do that? And we probably didn't even think, like, this is profound. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because it was normal. Yeah, it's family traditions that I brought in from my side and he brought in from his side. And I will say, though, that Mason is more intentional. He, like, he is saying, think about why you're doing what you're doing. That is something that he brought into our marriage that then I caught the vision for. And now I think about why do I even do that? Like, why do we even have meals around the table? Or why do we even pray with our kids? Why do we do the things we're doing? That is really crucial to think about because a lot of times we just fall in step with what the culture is leading us in. Subconsciously, we're doing things and they may be sinful things or they may be edifying things, but we're just doing them because that's what everyone else is doing. So definitely be thoughtful and prayerful about it, but don't stress yourself out about it either. Okay, so to kind of wrap it up, one last question. This is something that's for everyone, whether your house kind of stinks right now or you love your house and you love your rhythm and your liturgy that you have. What's the goal of it? What are we trying to accomplish with a domestic liturgy? The goal of domestic liturgy is 
to bring shape and form in to the truth, beauty, and goodness that you believe in, um, which of course we would say is Christ as Christians. But to think about that, like you believe some things are true. How does that exemplify itself in your house? How can that be um, brought to flesh, if you want to say it in that way? How you bring that incarnational idea to your home? What is truth in your home? What is goodness in your home? What is beauty in your home? So every piece that is on your shelf, every piece of furniture in your house, everything that you do, all the patterns, all the rituals, even everything to taking out the trash, I think should be a reflection of what you believe. So your house is really the external shell of the internal reality that you're all living. So what does taking out the trash mean? Well, it doesn't just mean getting the trash out because it stinks if you leave it in the house. It means that we believe in a, a house that is uncluttered. We take out the garbage. We don't let garbage pile up in our houses just like we don't let it pile up in our hearts. Mm -hmm. So those kind of things we might think are no big deal, taking out the trash. Well, everyone does that. Well, why do you do that? You could leave your junk laying around. Some people do that. Some people's houses are filled with junk. They never clean their dishes. They leave everything laying around. When they come home, they don't eat around the table. They all sit down on the couch and watch TV and veg out. Like, right. why do you sit down and have dinners together? So the goal is to bring to flesh, bring to form, bring to shape, habit, pattern, ritual, whatever you want to call it. How do you how do you bring those beliefs, those meanings to life? How do you bring them into your home? That's the whole goal is to be able to see, touch, smell, feel everything that you believe. Yeah, that's good. Okay, I had a quote, but you also had a quote. Did you want to share that to end? Is that something that you'd want to share? Yeah, I can share it. Um, I haven't read this book. It was a quote in another book. Um, some of you may have heard of the book, uh, Eat This Book, <laughs> by Eugene Peterson. He quotes a lady named Kathleen Norris, who wrote a book called The Quotidian Mysteries. And he's talking about um, the contemplative life. He's in this chapter talking about Lectio Divina um, and reading the Bible, which is another topic for another day. But um, he says, or quotes her, I have come to believe that the true mystics of the quotidian are not those who contemplate holiness in isolation, reaching godlike illumination and serene silence, but those who manage to find God in a life filled with noise, the demands of other people, and relentless daily duties that can consume the self. They may be young parents juggling child rearing and making a living. If they're wise, they treasure those rare moments of solitude and silence that come their way and use them not to escape, to distract themselves with television and the like. Instead, they listen for a sign of God's presence and they open their hearts toward prayer. I just think that's a really good summation of this topic that we've been talking about. It's not some monastic order to where everyone shuts themselves into their house and tries to live these specially laid out patterns of life and liturgy. It's something that we share with the people around us. It brings the whole family into it and it shapes who we are as people. It invites our community into the same kind of things um, and hopefully will be greater than just your own home. It'll be something that you can share uh, with your church, with those in the city around you. It's something to participate in as a community. It's not a single effort. It's a, it's a, I don't know, it's a collaborative effort. Right, which is so cool because here we are coming out of 2020, entering 2021, 
and 2020 has been a year of isolation. Mm -hmm. And so let's pray as the people of God that 2021 is not like that, that we can be brave and courageous as we enter 2021. I know um, many people have been affected by the virus. Many have lost loved ones. Many have lost jobs. Uh, Many have not known what to do in this time. And so my prayer is that the Lord helps all of us to create our own domestic liturgies that reflect Him and His glory. And then also that we have the boldness and the courage and the wisdom to know how to share that with others and how to invite other people into that in 2021. Right. 2020 is really what drove me to start thinking more about this as people were quarantining and driven into their own homes. Mm -hmm. It was like this, oh no, I'm home. What do I do now with my family? (laughs) I'm going to kill everybody. (laughs) The people that I've covenanted to live with and are a a part of by blood, I now have to live with these people and deal with them every day. Um, And I just saw people all around me that were just miserable. Divorces went up, depressions went up. Um, suicide has went up. And I think if we can keep our eyes set on the things that are important um, and start to rethink and restructure the home life, I think that you'll see a lot less of that in 2021 is we're all driven home. Home isn't the end of the world. It's actually the beginning of a good Mm -hmm. and healthy world. Uh, So if we can live in a way with those around us who we're in families with. Uh, you may even just be living with someone else that isn't your blood relative. Uh, maybe it's just a roommate. You should be able to live in a way of harmony with those kind of people uh, because that's what we're called to do as humans, as Christians, is to live in harmony with those around us. And this is a way to do that. This month's giveaway is sponsored by the Fruitful and Fearless podcast. Lexi Sove and Jordan Sparks birthed the wonderful idea of a family cookbook, and we will be giving one of these away to one of our lucky listeners. This cookbook has waterproof pages and over 40 recipes from Lexi, Jordan, Margot Voth, and myself. Margot's husband Riley did much of the back work. I had the privilege of doing the photography, and the recipes that are included are tried and true family favorites. This is a giveaway you will not want to miss out on. You can enter to win by visiting House to Home Podcast on Instagram and follow the instructions on our post. You'll need to make sure that you're following both House to Home and Fruitful and Fearless. Tag some friends and like the post. It should be easy to find. It'll say January's giveaway. So go enter and good luck.